Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 987. And as we've moved into the second half of this letter, Paul is giving the Thessalonians some additional instructions and uh, correcting some areas that needed to be addressed as the Thessalonians seek to grow in their sanctification. as They look to uh, please God with how they live their lives as his people. And this morning, on this Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day, by the way, uh, we're going to see what Paul has to say about our responsibility to love one another. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so as we pick back up here in verse 9, Paul turns his attention back to the topic of love. He writes, now concerning brotherly love. And it appears that Paul is actually answering a question that the Thessalonians have sent back to him through Timothy. That, that phrase, now concerning, functions kind of like saying, now in response to your question about, fill in the blank. And that makes sense here because on the one hand, Paul says that he doesn't need to write anything about this to them. And yet at the same time, he is writing about this to them. And so it makes sense for us to understand that, that Paul is answering a question that the Thessalonians have sent back to him through Timothy uh, that has something to do with love, although we don't know what the specific question was. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Paul called the Thessalonians to love all people. But yet here we see that he is writing about brotherly love, which is referring specifically to the relationships that these believers have with one another in the context of the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Christians are called to love all people, and yet at the same time, we have a particular responsibility to love one another. As we've seen several times before, love is the primary characteristic that is supposed to distinguish the church from the world. Right? In John chapter 13, Jesus tells the disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Right? And the love that is found in the church should be different than the love that you find in the world. And so by nature, birds of a feather flock together. Right? We've all heard that. By nature, people tend to seek out relationships with other people who are like them. We, people who look the same and who think similarly. People who have similar values, have similar interests. Right? People find other people who are like them and then group up together in community. But if you think about the early church, here you had a group of people that was made up of, of different races, uh, of different uh, social and economic status, uh, people who had different education levels, different political ideas, different hobbies and interests, different personal preferences, at times even people who were naturally enemies. 
And yet, because of faith in Jesus, all of these people came together, all of these different people came together to form a new community which was marked by love for each other, right? a sacrificial commitment to the well-being of one another. And you don't find that kind of love anywhere else. This, this is a kind of love that the world has no answer for. Right? Again, we naturally love people who are like us. And even then, we generally only love as long as it's convenient, and it, and it really doesn't require too much from us. But the early church had great diversity, and yet at the very same time was characterized by a love that was genuine. There was a commitment to love one another through thick and thin, and a willingness to sacrifice for one another if necessary. And the only explanation for that kind of love is that something supernatural must be at work in that kind of a context, which is the whole point, right? It's the reason that Jesus calls us to express that kind of love for one another. Now again, when it comes to this kind of brotherly love, Paul says that the Thessalonians don't need any further instructions about it. Apparently they were consistently characterized by it. And at the end of verse 9, Paul explains why that is. And he says that it's because they have been taught by God to love one another. Now last week in verse 8, we saw that Paul uh, reminded the Thessalonians of the fact that God had given them his Holy Spirit. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us, is that he will bring to mind everything uh, that he has told us. He, he reminds us of what God's word says and he applies it to our hearts. He teaches us. And so just as Paul prayed back at the end of chapter 3, we see here that the Lord has caused the Thessalonians to increase and to abound in love for one another. But I think there's a further significance to this statement as well. That's that one of the features of the new covenant that was prophesied by both Isaiah and Jeremiah is that God's people would, would know and be taught by him. And that the Lord would put his spirit within his people and cause them to walk in his ways. And so beyond Paul commending the Thessalonians for their love, based on his terminology, I think he's also taking the opportunity here to reaffirm and to encourage the Thessalonians in the midst of their suffering and their persecution that they have been brought in to the new covenant people of God. And then at the beginning of verse 10, we see that the reason Paul is confident that the Thessalonians have been taught by God to love one another is because they're doing it so well. Right? He says, For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So the Thessalonians have consistently demonstrated their understanding of the importance of love by exercising it towards the other Christians in their region. Now, in terms of, of who the other brothers in the region of Macedonia is referring to, uh, we've, we've already talked about the fact that in Acts, we know that there was another church in the city of Philippi and also one in Berea. And it's also possible by this point that other churches had been started as well. And so that's who Paul is referring to here. And he doesn't specify exactly how the Thessalonians have shown this love for one another, but obviously they had. Now we know from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians that despite being relatively poor, the Thessalonians had sent a generous financial uh, relief 
uh, gift to the church in Jerusalem to help them with famine relief, and perhaps they had done similar things for other churches as well. Or, perhaps like Gaius, who we saw in the book of 3 John, the Thessalonians had offered hospitality and support uh, to believers who were traveling from some of these other churches. Perhaps it was both of these things or something else entirely. But at any rate, however the church had consistently demonstrated love to one another and to other believers in the region, it was clear to Paul that there was nothing else he needed to say to them about it. I was struck by that this week, thinking about that. And it made me wonder if Paul could write that same thing to us today. That that in terms of our brotherly love for one another, that there was just simply nothing that he could add to what we were already doing. And I don't know, I think we, we probably need to step our game up. We've talked about this before, but, but I'm truly convinced that the way most Americans approach church is very much undermining uh, this kind of love. Right? We go church shopping. Right? And as we go church shopping, we're looking for, for the ideal church that fits exactly what we want. Right? And so, so the people are more or less like us. And the music style is exactly the way we like it to be. The preaching, the aesthetics, all of it is is just the way that we like it. And churches, sometimes with the best of intentions, other times perhaps not so much the best of intentions, they uh, they give in to this mindset. They buy into it and they begin trying to market themselves. And so this church becomes the church with the contemporary music. And this church over here has the the cool, edgy pastor. And then this is the church with the multi-million dollar children's facilities. And and then this church over here is is the the traditional church with everything just how grandma used to like it. And and so on and so forth. In our efforts to attract people, we try to design church to fit exactly what they want. But I'm afraid that in doing that, What we are, again, hopefully unintentionally doing is we're really inviting people to worm their way out from the command to love people, to love people who are not exactly like them. You see, a healthy church should be diverse. It shouldn't be all the the same kinds of people. A church should be diverse, and it's good for us. It's a good thing for us to not get everything exactly the way we'd like it to be. The problem isn't that people are too different to go to the same church. If we want to be honest, the problem is that people are not loving enough to go to the same church. And and in a very real sense, it's it's the the old adage, it's not you, it's me. right? But it really is. The problem's not so much you, it's me. And my unwillingness to, to be loving towards other people who aren't like me and who yet are in Christ. But at any rate, as we pick up in the second half of verse 10, Paul's going to continue calling the Thessalonians to keep growing with some practical instructions tacked on as well. And so we'll pick up in the second half of verse 10. He writes, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so while the Thessalonians are already doing a good job at loving one another, Paul still encourages them at the end of verse 10 to do this 
more and more. As we said last week, we never reach perfection in this life, and so there's always room for us to improve. And every week, every day for that matter, brings us fresh opportunities to demonstrate love to one another. Right? There, there are needs we can meet. There's forgiveness that we can offer. There's patience that we can extend. Inconveniences we can embrace. Personal preferences that we can give up. There's unity that we can seek. There's hospitality we can share, and so on and so forth. And so with this in mind, we should constantly be on the lookout for potential ways to demonstrate love to one another, to do so, as Paul writes, more and more. And then starting in verse 11, Paul tacks on three additional instructions for the Thessalonians. He calls them to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Now, because Paul is reminding them of these things, things that they've already told them, it's quite possible that these are some of the areas where the Thessalonians needed to be corrected. And so, first of all, he calls them to aspire to live quietly. And the word aspire refers to having a very strong desire for something. Some people may aspire uh, to be famous or to be rich or powerful. But Paul calls the Thessalonians to have a very different kind of aspiration. He tells them to aspire to live quietly. And when he says to live quietly, he doesn't mean for us to go through life not talking to anybody. He's speaking figuratively of a mindset where we take care of our own business and we go on with life. Uh, Another way of, of saying this might be keep your head down. Don't make waves unnecessarily. And certainly in an environment of persecution like what the Thessalonians were in, they didn't need to do anything to draw unnecessary attention to themselves. And so Paul calls them to live quietly. Secondly, and directly related to this, he tells the Thessalonians to mind your own affairs. Again, in other words, take care of your business and go on with life. Don't get caught up in peripheral matters. Now, obviously, this would include not being nosy and and gossiping about other people. Uh, But in context, I think it's also a warning not to become overly engaged in earthly matters. Whether that would be sports or politics, or celebrity news, or, or whatever the things are that tend to draw us in and we get caught up in. Not that those things are necessarily unimportant, uh, they all have their place, but the controlling reality of our lives should be the gospel. And we always need to keep the main thing the main thing. Then finally, Paul reminds the Thessalonians to work with your hands. Now, manual labor was looked down on. In, in Greco-Roman society. People in the upper class uh, thought people were less than if they had to work a regular job. But Paul, on the other hand, saw work as a noble endeavor, an honorable and God-ordained way for us to provide for our needs. Right? We were created to work. In the Garden of Eden, God sets Adam and Eve in the garden to cultivate it. There was work to be done. So we were created to work. Of course, after the fall, our work is difficult and it's often frustrating, but work in itself is a good thing that God created us to do. And so Paul reminds the Thessalonians to work 
hard, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But first, in verse 12, Paul explains why these things are so important. He, he calls the Thessalonians to do these things, he writes, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So first of all, doing these things is important so that the Thessalonians uh, can walk properly before outsiders, which is to say uh, unbelievers, people who have not embraced the gospel. And so Paul is concerned about the church's reputation. Right? How we conduct ourselves matters. The way that we live reflects on the gospel in either good ways or bad ways, either in ways that can attract people to it or in ways that can push people away from it. We remember that, that Paul called the Colossians to walk wisely towards outsiders. And in the letter to Titus, he, he said that our lives should adorn the gospel. Our lives should draw attention to the gospel, much like a picture frame draws attention to a photo. Our lives can give credibility to the gospel in the eyes of the world, or they can discredit the gospel in the eyes of the world. And in fact, there may be nothing more damaging to the church's witness than a disconnect in what we say and in what we do. Uh, I think in, in all this pandemic stuff, uh, no matter which end of the political spectrum you're on, one of the most frustrating things has been government leaders who make really strong statements about the importance of social distancing and, and sometimes even threaten to punish people who aren't wearing masks. And then they get photographed out on the town, or, or at parties, private parties, but around all kinds of different people, and they're not wearing masks. Right? And be, beyond being hypocritical, what that really serves to do is it encourages people to question whether or not all this talk about coronavirus infections is really as important as they say it is. Right? Because if you really believe that, then surely you'd have a mask on and you'd avoid large gatherings. I remember when I was a kid, I was at one of my sister's softball games when I ran into my local D.A.R.E. officer. Uh, some of you may remember the, the D.A.R.E. anti-drug program. And so I did a double take, for one, because he was out of uniform, and so I didn't recognize him at first. But then secondly, because he was wearing a Marlboro jacket. Now, he had just been in my classroom telling us about how cigarettes are bad for you. And now here he is, outside in society, wearing a jacket that advertises cigarettes. And so being a kid, I asked him about it. And he got this really goofy look on his face, and he was very, I, I probably shouldn't be wearing that, should I? And I was like, well, I'm not the fashion police. You can wear whatever you want. But as a nine-year-old kid, it caused me to question whether all this talk about the danger of drugs was really as important as he was making it out to be. Because surely, if you really believe that, then you wouldn't wear clothes that openly contradict your message. But church, in the very same way, when we profess to follow Jesus, but then our lifestyle really isn't following Jesus, the world rightly questions whether all of this talk about the gospel is really as important as we make it out to be. Because surely, if we really believed that, then our lives would complement our faith. And so it is essential, it is vital that we walk properly before outsiders. Our walk must match our talk. And then secondly, Paul says that doing these things is important because it will ensure that the Thessalonians are dependent on no one. And in 
trying to understand what he means here, it appears from his second letter to the Thessalonians, not long after this one, that some of the members of this church were lazy and they depended on other members or perhaps even people from society, uh, outsiders, to support them financially. So the issue wasn't that they couldn't provide for their needs because they, they maybe were disabled or because there simply was no work available. The problem was they just didn't want to provide for themselves because work's hard. Work's hard. and Who has time for that? And for Paul, this is a problem. On the one hand, it's not loving to compel other people to support you when you are perfectly capable of providing for yourself, which also, in the bigger picture, decreases the amount of support that's available for people who are truly in need. But on the other hand, it doesn't make a good impression on outsiders when Christians look like lazy bums who are just looking to get by on handouts. And so Paul reminds them of the importance of working to provide for their own needs. Part of Christian love is absolutely providing for one another when we come to a point of need. Part of Christian love is also doing everything that we can to avoid being in need. And for Paul, there is no room for deadbeats. And so for the sake of the church and for the sake of outsiders who need to, to believe the gospel, Paul calls the Thessalonians to continue growing in their love. So in our passage this morning, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to continue growing in their love for one another by, uh, by seeking to live quietly, minding their own affairs and working with their hands in order to walk properly before outsiders and so that they're not dependent on anyone. As we consider the application of this to our lives, there are a number of questions that we could ask. Are you consistently showing love for the other members of our church? Are there obvious areas where you can see that you need to continue growing? Does your lifestyle reflect your love for the Lord? When outsiders look at you, are they drawn to the gospel because of what they see in your life, or are they pushed away from it? How could you be intentional this next week about showing love to another member of our church? Again, not I'm not asking whether it's theoretically possible. I'm asking how specifically could you do it? These are good questions for us to consider this morning because as we can see from our passage, there is much on the line when it comes to us being consistent and growing in our love for one another. And at risk of being cheesy, there's no better time than on this Valentine's Day. And we've already got love on our minds to consider how we can grow in our love and do some honest self-evaluation. So this morning, let's ask the Lord to help us to grow in our love. Let's pray together.